I'm Michelle Broadbent and welcome to your Business Boost podcast. Join me as I take you behind the scenes to show you what it's really like to build a successful business. I'll be sharing practical tools, advice and insights that will change the way you work. So if you're ready to boost your business and your life, let's get started with today's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Your Business Boost podcast. Now, you know I love a business origin story. It's something that I often ask my guests when they first come on because I am truly fascinated about how that person got to be doing what they're doing now. What was that thing that made them take the leap into this crazy world that is running a business? And today I have a very special guest for you with a quite unique story of origin. So Melissa Reader is the CEO of the Violet Initiative. It's an organization that's focused on transforming the final stage of life so that more Australians are better prepared to die well. Melissa came to be a part of this business after the death of her husband. At the time, she lacked the necessary support to navigate that time and felt that her failure to prepare for what was about to happen left her with an overwhelming sense of regret. And this was something that she did not want anyone else to feel the way that she did, which is what spurred her on to step into her role with Violet. Now, if you think that today's episode is going to be depressing, please don't. This, I felt, was really, really important. Yes, it's a little bit different to the normal kind of, I guess, I shouldn't say normal, the regular tone of um, of the podcast, but I wanted to shine a spotlight on this incredible organization and the woman who runs it. So Melissa is the most beautiful, compassionate eloquent woman and she shares so openly not just her story but also insights and tips around this topic of death and it is really really valuable information and it is sadly it's information that we do all need to hear. So Melissa and I were actually introduced through a mutual friend who was the recipient of this very, very important work that Violet provide to families and friends and caregivers supporting people through the last stages of life. And that's why I I wanted to get Melissa on here to talk about this because yes, death is a taboo subject, but we are all going to have to deal with it at some point in time. And I'm a huge planner, but planning for the end of my life or or those around me who I love is definitely not something that I'd considered. Um, But in meeting Melissa and getting to know her and the work that Violet do, I now understand that a lot of the pain and regret around death is caused by that lack of planning and communication of people in the last stages of life. Not to go too deep here, but um, I recently had an incident where someone very, very close to me um, had their parent pass away suddenly um, and there was no plan. There was no plan. And 
everything fell on this person's very broad shoulders and watching this play out has been very, very hard. It's not nice. It's not nice at all. And I think why I wanted to shine a spotlight on Violet's work is that that is so much around what they do. It's this preparation piece. And Melissa shares with us today tips around where to start those conversations. We also, in this chat, discussed uh, how as business owners, we can manage running our businesses, as well as dealing with grief or a caretaking role. Because let's face it, highly likely if you're listening to this, you are a female and this falls to the women. It does. It is one of those things in our society where we tend to step into those roles as caregivers. And the older we get, the more likely we are to potentially face this situation. So um, Melissa gives us some really great information around that. Also, how we can best support our team members if they are going through grief or in a caregiving role. Like, how can we be great bosses in this situation as well. I will share with you all the ways to connect with Melissa and Violet in the show notes. If this is not something that you're going through right now, I encourage you to keep them saved somewhere for when you might need it because there's lots of great information being shared here today. So please enjoy my conversation with this very special woman, Melissa Reader. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today on Your Business Boost. Hey, thanks for having me, Michelle. So can we kick off, please, with your business origin story? I love to, I always love to hear how people came to be where they are right now. Yeah, they're always interesting background stories, aren't they? And they're always such a blend of, uh, well, often such a blend of personal and professional, definitely the case for me. For you. Um, because I never thought my career would take me down this particular path. I guess, you know, things change through the course of your lives for many, many people. And and, um, I started my career uh, in advertising and I spent about 15 years um, running agencies here, business and and brand agencies, consulting offerings. Uh, And then everything everything changed, you know, for me and and for my family. And when I look back on that um, and think about where I am now, it's really clear that, you know, entrepreneurial journeys start from something, something pretty big that has a pretty, pretty profound impact on you, you know, makes you want to get up and out of bed for a different reason. And certainly that's that's been the case. And my kind of my moment or my experience was also one of the hardest. And it was um, caring for my, my husband, my first husband, through a really aggressive cancer disease and then his, his death. Uh, so it's definitely part of the origin story. Um, we were a really normal, busy, happily chaotic family, you know, three little kids running our own business. Our youngest was only nine months when he was, when Mara, my husband, was diagnosed with renal cell carcinoma. It was really advanced on diagnosis and it just came completely out of the blue for us. He was ill for about 15 months and it was just, you know, such a difficult time for us as a family for all the obvious reasons But one of the hardest things was that we just couldn't talk about what was happening, Uh, couldn't talk about it as husband and wife, couldn't talk about it with our families or or his medical teams. 
And I don't think we really understood how sick he was. Um, and we certainly couldn't accept the fact that he was terminally ill, that he was actually dying. You know, he was in that last stage of his life and, and probably just spent months fluctuating between hope and denial and not really thinking about how precious those months actually were and the things that we should have been doing and, um, and talking about together. So in those last few months, he just moved between hospital and home every other week. Uh, he probably spent a lot of lonely time in hospital. And I know he had treatments through that period, which, you know, they were pretty futile, they were pretty horrible, and we probably would have thought about those things differently too if we could have really understood and accepted where he was at. And then when he did die, it was, uh, it was a really clinical and impersonal death and, and he was really, we were all really unprepared for it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that... It was a pretty, uh, pretty awful experience for everybody and very much for him. And, and I came out of that with a lot of regrets about what played out and what should have played out and the big gap that sat in between. And I also then had a really um, a growing kind of insight into the things that we need to do better around the last stage of life and the end of life because we just don't do it well as a society. So I was still running my own business or trying to, trying to run my own business and keep oh everything together yeah. in the family, but it was a real catalyst. And, and I then went on to do Social Leadership Australia, which was a brilliant project, and, and that helped me make a lot of big decisions. And, and interestingly, through that group, there was a, a call for directors for this very little organisation who were doing this exact work. They were helping families understand and accept and care for their loved ones um, through the last stage of life. And so I initially got involved on the board of that organisation because I thought something magical is happening here. Mm -hmm. but there was very little scalability or, in fact, sustainability in that model. Right. Uh, which is what I set out to do, um, mm -hmm. is really try and create version two of that business, um, looking at, you know, organisations like Beyond Blue and Lifeline and thinking what would it take to grow this organisation to play a similar national role. Yeah, and that's where you are now. Yeah, that's where I am. You know, the, yep. the, hard, the hard truth is that the system around this life stage just isn't working mm. in this country. Mm. It just, just doesn't deliver what we're all looking for. They're, they're pretty, despite the best of efforts and intentions by so many, there are still pretty poor outcomes for yep. a lot of people. And there's a lot of poor outcomes for the health system as mm. well big gap between what we would hope for and what happens so that's that's the work that we're um we're setting out to do so yeah we all need this yeah and look thank you so much for for sharing that melissa and i'm yeah i'm just so sorry i'm so sorry that that is the reason that that you have come to be in this position that you are in now but um i'm so also thankful that you used that as the catalyst to, to do something that is going to impact um, all of us because I, I just, you know, I just find as I'm getting older, as my friends are getting older, parents are getting older, like there's just, and obviously with the, with the pandemic over the last couple of years as well, like it is, unfortunately, it's something that we can't bury our heads in the sand about, which I think, you know, when we were young and, you know, 
reckless and, you know, in our sort of early 20s and stuff, I was just like, it didn't matter. We didn't think about, worry about that when we're older and now we are older and it's like one of those things that we do need to think of. So how did you, because obviously, you know, you're running, you know, and, and managing agencies, but like, you know, so you're in the world of advertising before you you came to, to this space. How did you know what the hell you were doing? Because I'm always interested when people sort of have these these flips is is like you know you you hadn't put together a board before you hadn't built a non-for-profit before like how the hell did you know what you were doing yeah good question (laughs) (laughs) um so so the businesses that I had built were were was a brand um strategy agency and a consulting agency so I've kind of had that entrepreneurial hardwiring in me um I get a lot of energy from that yeah but building a not-for-profit is very different. Very different. As it's so to, different. You yeah. Know, uh, governance and funding and, and just the structure, the way the, these businesses need to operate in the world. And actually some of the perceptions around these businesses need a serious rethink and reshape. And that's certainly part of my mission in, in building a different kind of, of not-for-profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's been so many things I've had to figure out on the fly, on the <laughs> way. Um I guess I've always tried to be really purposeful with the decisions that I've made and that the organisation's made and, and to bring uh, a pretty commercial lens to a lot of those decisions to make sure that we're always designing for impact, for scale and for sustainability. They're mm-hmm. the three things that, that have always been very, um, you know, very true. Yeah. Um, and I've made a heap of mistakes, no no doubt, and I'll, uh, I'll continue to do yeah. some, but I've yeah. also gotten some things... Um, wonderfully right you know which has been fantastic one of those things has definitely been bringing together the right skill set for this type of an organization and actually engaging them in a taboo topic because I wasn't really sure how many people wanted to do this work inside of me Mm. Mm. Um, so for quite a few years it was me waving my arms in boardrooms uh, trying to raise funds and get some kind of traction behind the mission and there'd be 0.8 0.8 of an FTE. <laughs> you know, right. It's really hard to get stuff done when you're so scarce for resources and, and people. Yeah. We're in a really different place now, which, is, which has been amazing. Yeah. So how was that? Because, you know, I mean, obviously all entrepreneurs, particularly when they're starting out, do need to be scrappy and resourceful. And that can be incredibly draining like that's you know it's often at that point when people are just like oh my god this is is this worth it is it too hard so so how did you navigate that like what what was that like for you um you know to get I guess the buy-in from other people to be able to utilize the resources that you had like what was some of the I guess like the tricks in your trick bag that you could get to to you know make magic happen when with with so little funding resources yeah. people how did you go about they have that been, they have been some of the toughest times no mm-hmm. doubt um because there has been some really gritty moments where I thought I'm actually sure I can get this off the ground yeah and it does require you to be this kind of really inspirational person trying to raise money and bring attention to a topic that actually most of us don't want to think about yeah and at the same time managing the the, the kind of the reality of the uh, of the shop floor which is really scarce yes <laughs> and, and managing boards and expectations and uh, you know it's it's a kind of it's a delicate dance and I think you do have to take a lot of care of yourself 
Um, and, and you've got to have some very trusted people around you that you can share the real truth with. Because there's a bit of bit of myth telling and, and story weeding, you know, to to kind of to give people enough confidence that yeah. and belief in what you're building. Yeah. Um, so that that's a, that is a delicate dance, and I think my my best advice is you've just got to try and find the right sources of advice and people that have grown similar organisations because they get the gaps, they get the realities. Yeah. Did you find mm. that those people were quite open to 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 helping you, or was that a lot of like sort of nurturing those relationships before they would spill the beans to you? Well, first of all, they're pretty hard to find. Mm. No, particularly in the social change space. It's a really growing um, ecosystem and community. It's not very big. It's yeah. one of the things that I am always going to offer back. Um, yes. You know, you because I, yeah, yeah. I really, I really want to commit to doing that. So um, just for anybody out there, just know that that's absolutely available. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were hard to find and they were hard to um hard to access because we're so small and yeah you know, these yeah. people are getting tapped on the shoulder a hundred times a all day. the time yeah, yeah I, have, yep. I have been really fortunate in the last uh, probably two years to really tap into some incredible support and incredible wisdom and gosh it gives you a boost when you do yeah yeah, yeah. and was that mainly here in Australia or overseas as well yeah here in Australia yeah uh, I've had some great conversations from from different kind of change makers in this space internationally but that mm-hmm. type of really um honest transparent truth-telling yeah I found that locally yeah from the Aussies yeah, that's <laughs> right yeah so so what do you wish that you knew back when you started like the, you know the stuff that you know now what do you wish that you knew back when you began Oh, so many things. <laughs> um, I think, you know, it's it's actually a new service offering. And so there isn't a blueprint that, that yeah. we can look to and take shortcuts. There's some great work being done here and internationally, but it's not system-wide in the way that we're thinking about it. So one of the things that I wish I'd started out knowing, but I probably only figured out in the last 24 months or so was really looking to mental health, which yes. has shifted the conversation on a similarly taboo topic, made so much progress. We know how to normalise that now. Mm-hmm. My kids talk about their mental health and their mental yes. health with their friends in a way that, mm. gosh, we would never have done when we were at school. So we've normalised it. We know how to um, access services. So it's looking for those key learnings and shortcuts wherever you can find them. Mm-hmm. It's not doesn't give you any kind of a perfect model, but it certainly it certainly helps. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that's been a really important learning to me uh, is just because I've been so personally committed to this, and I I have a real sense of urgency behind it. I've probably just tried to do way too many things. Yeah, and a very a very wise advisor in that trusted circle that we just talked about said to me, you know, startups usually die of indigestion not starvation so get clear get concise put down the things that actually aren't the work right now and start to do fewer things exceptionally well which you know actually sounds so obvious when you say it out loud but it's really hard to see it when you're in the middle so true but it's at, that's that's gold I love that yeah. that quote because it is so true it is so true um and it comes also you know from that 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 feeling of scarcity and and not wanting to mess it up and not wanting to be another statistic and you know i've got to make it work got to make it work got to make it work um but yeah meanwhile giving yourself indigestion that's right that's right 
Um, I think the other thing is is a lot of learnings around leadership, and this is you know an area that I've done a lot of work in and and been very interested around. What what are these kind of new leadership paradigms and styles, and how 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 do I need to work with them, and what do they mean for the type of work that Violet's doing? Because we're dealing with a subject that brings up a lot about people's hopes and fears and beliefs it's pretty emotionally charged mm-hmm. most people would just prefer to tune out actually yes. on conversation so how do we start to work below the waterline um, as we as we kind of build our influence and and kind of um, really expand our our circles and and how you bring people together on that journey because there's lots of uncertainty um, and for me uncertainty is actually really energizing I, I get a real uplift but that's yeah. not the case for but that's for many or most not regular no a lot of people it freaks a lot of people out yeah yeah mm. so it's just uh I think that repertoire figuring out how to meet people where they are yeah um and and work with them and then bringing bringing them along on the journey has been has been really really important and then I guess the other thing is just the kind of the perseverance and the grit that's required and, and any of the listeners who are in this kind of social change space um, we'll absolutely get that because you do often get shut down or shut out, uh, particularly in more traditional, um, less change-oriented industries or, or boardrooms or discussions, and that's really disempowering, really yeah. authorizing. It's really hard to deal with those moments. Um, but starting to build your own authority and your own sense of, you know, what, what your leadership style or model might look like. Yeah. It's really key. <laughs> How do you how how do you do that personally? Because you would be the one that is on the receiving end of, like you said, you know, the shutting out, the shutting down. No, no, no. Like you know, there would not, I imagine, have been quite a, a lot of doors, you know, potentially closed in your face. Um, how have, how do you deal with that? Because that's that you know that for a lot of people, that's the it's like oh. That's the God. bit that's too hard. I can't do it anymore. Yeah, totally, totally. And I have absolutely been in that place and felt that. I mean, it just it takes time, takes yes. coaching, yes. <laughs> takes a lot of reflection, <laughs> um, takes a lot of trying new things and just, uh, you know, getting up and, and, and keeping on going. Yeah. No magic bullet. There isn't. No, yeah. no a lot of it's just about personal development and how that mm-hmm. then influences your professional development and and helps you to stay the course yeah yeah and something that you touched on which I you know sort of I guess shifting away from um you know from the business to coming back to something that you mentioned earlier on in the conversation was that when you were going through everything with your husband is that you were running a business at that time weren't you so and and something sad sadly that I am noticing is that you know a lot of the women in my world are um you know while they're building their businesses there's also life challenges that 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 are going on in parallel and it's very hard when you are the business when you are the deliverer of the service when you are running the show and dealing with something as challenging as you know supporting someone through the end of their life or or any anything that that just has such a heaviness around it what what advice would you give to to someone who who is is in that sort of situation in terms of managing both 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think COVID has taught us a lot about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we probably were a lot less aware or less able to recognise those kinds of needs. Hopefully we've, I won't say come out of the pandemic, but we're coming through the pandemic mm-hmm. with, a, with a greater awareness and sensibility around that. But um, first and foremost, you know, being able to actually normalise and, and try and talk about, recognise when people are going through this or, or when you might be going through that, that caring experience yourself, because uh, I did a terrible job of that, terrible so, job. Were you just trying to do business as usual? What were you, because obviously I didn't know you then, but like what yeah, did what yeah. were you? Well, unfortunately, when you're self-employed, mm. um, if your clients start to know that you're going through this huge life trauma, yeah, uh, they they want to protect you. They want to wrap you in cotton wool, and they certainly don't send work your way. Yeah, so we we certainly felt that, um, mm. and we saw our revenue halve in about six months. Wow, it's really challenging. Oh. Uh, but my gosh, the staff that were working for us were amazing. Pretty young yeah. crew, you know, yeah. but really, really loyal and committed, and just picked up so many pieces mm. for me over the course of that time. I think, um, you know, for for business owners um, who are experiencing this in their family or they might have colleagues, you know, employees that are going through it, trying to be just very genuinely human about it, acknowledging it first Mm -hmm. and foremost, um, finding the right ways to gently open a conversation that acknowledges what's happening or what what might be happening and trying to normalise that and let those people know that they've got your support, however little or much they might be willing to share. Uh, you know, when you think about the comparison with parenthood, it's okay to come into the office in the morning and have a real grumble that your toddler kept you up all night and yep. you're having a tough patch. Mm. We don't have the same permission to talk about this when, when you're going through these big life moments and yep. experiences. So I think we need to try and create that permission. Um, and we need to model that permission for us. Yes. It is okay to talk about it. You know, statistically in any workforce, there'll be up to 10% of people going through this every year. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a, it's a an important number. Um, yeah. And then when you look at, we, we looked at financial services pretty closely against the kind of caregiving profile and most most people in caregiving roles are, are women, two-thirds mm-hmm. are women, yeah. and predominantly they're aged over 55. Mm-hmm. When you look at that against financial services, 53% of the workforce in fin services are female, you know, and um, 32 are 45 plus. So there's there's a lot of people yeah. out in the workforce today who are, are facing this or will face it, and they're often becoming part of that sandwich generation where they're yes. looking, looking at <laughs> the kids who aren't quite adults, you know, the kind of emerging young adults, but they're now looking after parents who are increasingly elderly and frail. And that's a really tough combination. Yeah. So I think trying to, to just to be there, to know that, that people um, are being seen and, and recognised and, and to try and offer the right level of flexibility and support, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm just going to point that back to COVID because I, I suspect that there are there's a, a cultural response in a lot of organisations that might be more available now that might oh, have been there. <laughs> I agree. COVID. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But you know that the help just the the foreign concept of like you know working from home that you know two two and a bit years ago was just unheard of, and now you know so there is I guess more flexibility. 
for, you know, in businesses in general from that's that right. Sort of stand. That's right. That correlation between well-being yep. and productivity is yes. understood in a different way. And I think particularly around the death of someone that is important to you, um, helping that person, supporting them through that experience so that they can return to their life and they can return to their work more fully. Yeah. The death of a loved one. That that's a really important piece. And we all need to help with that employers, colleagues, friends, family. Friends, everybody. Yep, that's right. So if we did find ourselves in in the role of the caregiver, as you said, you know, that there are so that that statistically, you know, people listening to this, it's it's highly likely that we are going to end up in in that position. Um, What are some of the most important things that we can do for ourselves? So, you know, taking away the business work side of things, but just in terms of looking after ourselves as as we provide that role this is the advice that I would have loved someone to give me certainly um you know one of the key reasons that that violet exists I think firstly and probably this is the most difficult piece is to really try and take the time and the space and get the support to help you understand and accept that the person that you're caring for is in the last stage of their life. And, you know, that might be an elderly, frail parent or it might be someone that you love or care for that's living with a terminal illness because as humans we are pretty much hardwired for denial and, you know, we may just keep hoping that 96-year-old mum will get better or stronger or at least stay as well as she is today. And that, that's just not the case. You know, it's our fragile human condition. So I think being able to genuinely and gently acknowledge that is, is really important and can change so much mm-hmm. because once you, once you do realise that, time becomes the most precious thing that there is. Yeah. And then... Uh, being able to gently open some of those conversations, certainly with the person that you're caring for, but also with the people around you all um, to to share some of those reflections and to plan for that time together. So to understand what's really important to the person and that might include, you know, how to care for that person, what what they want, what's most important to them and and what they don't want Mm. is equally important uh, and how, as a as a group, you might be able to make that possible, so that it really can be the best experience that it can be for everyone. Yeah. Um, and there's some, you know, technical aspects to that around um, clinical care goals and ACDs and and accessing palliative care. But I think the social side of that, making sure everybody is understanding where things are at, can in some way talk about it and and can align. Thirdly, but by no means thirdly in rank of order importance is taking care of yourself. Mm. Really difficult and very emotionally draining role. You know, if you put this down in a PD, there's not many people that would want to pick that up. Oh, (laughs) no. But it's also not a dress rehearsal. Yeah. You only get one chance to really try to make that um, what everybody would want it to be. So it deserves the time and attention and space, which connects very um carefully back to the work, workplace conversation. Yeah. One of the most most, most precious um, 
experiences and roles. So I think, you know, trying to work through those things and, and also getting the help and support that, that you might need because so much of the system's efforts are focused on the person the who's facing the end yeah. of their life and, and they're mainly clinical efforts, which is wonderful, yep. but there is a whole untapped, unmet emotional and social dimension to this, which, which needs a lot more attention. Yeah. And do you have resources to, to sort of guide people through this? Like, you know, because for, yeah, you know, if you've never done it before, it's like, where the hell do I even start? Right. That that's really why Violet has been established. So to help people navigate this life stage and to be, to be better prepared and supported as they go through it. So we've, we've developed a whole lot of information and resources and tools to help people and we also have a guided support program which is where we match people with a violet guide and that's someone who has uh, who has cared for usually many people um, and takes them through a three session program to to really help with a lot of those emotional and social anchors that are that I talk to yeah um so that help is there it's it's freely available um 24 7 and that's at violet.org.au yeah, and it's such important information for, for people who find themselves in the, this position. And you did mention, like, the importance of planning, and I am, you know, such a planner. <laughs> I am such a planner, but I have to say, like, you know, this is never, you know, this isn't something that I've considered even thinking about or planning for because I, you know, still feel relatively young. But if the conversation is prompted, this if our conversation has prompted people to think, geez, I need to sort of, spring into action here um where where could they start like you know in terms of yeah having these you know I guess stepping out of those that denial yeah um, that we that we are all that we all often find ourselves in um where's a good place to start in terms of taking action yeah well I think firstly just acknowledging that so few of us do this. Less than 14% of Australians have any kind of plan in place. Wow. Is that or, right? Yeah. The numbers are really low. And, 14, 1-4. And, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. So okay. there's a lot so of That's across like all, even like retired people and, yeah. oh, wow. Very, very little. Oh, my money. goodness. And even though the research tells us a lot of people do want to talk about this, this you know, there's a big difference between wanting to and actually and actually doing it. Yeah. So that that that's certainly where the work is. Um, th- thinking about this concept that I'm always talking about, that honesty and kindness are not mutually exclusive. You know, this does require very honest and compassionate conversations about some pretty confronting topics for a lot of people, but holding those two things really, really close and knowing that the more we can have open and candid conversations and and we can plan together, the better this can be. Um, So my my advice is to really be as gentle and brave as you can and to try and open these conversations with family members and friends to understand what's most important for them. There are no perfect words. You know, yeah. there, there's no perfect script. It's actually mm. about compassion, mm. not not a specific vocabulary. So rather than really getting caught up in the right words, what our view is that this is about timing and tone. Yeah. No? Okay. And that's actually in some ways pretty freeing for a lot of people because it allows them to step into these conversations in their own way. As opposed to after a a bottle of wine at Christmas lunch. Sometimes that can help, (laughs) let's be honest. Um, 
but if you get the timing and the tone right, the, the, the words tend to find their own way. Usually not about a single conversation. It's, it's realising um, how to kind of open the door and then return to that conversation so that, that everything is, is truly talked about and just taking your time with that, being really gentle and, and using a well-spaced kind of series of, of questions. And, you know, again, that's where we can, we can help because we've got a lot of um, tools on the site to help prompt those conversations, a lot of videos uh, role-playing those conversations. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah, yeah, but it does also get easier. You know, the first, as with most things in life, the first thing, the first is is the hardest, and uh, that's the normalizing piece, doesn't it? If this is not for a lack of wanting to have the conversations, you know, and and some people are probably sitting there quietly, ready to have that conversation. It's just that, you know, they haven't been prompted or asked you know, by other people in their family or their loved ones. No, it doesn't. And having the conversation doesn't mean that you're going to die. No. It, it, it means that we can start to talk about a life stage that we don't talk about today and actually understand what's most important to all yes. of us as we yeah. get that life stage as inevitably we will. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Melissa. This has been so wonderful. You have opened my eyes to to so much and um and it, I know it's definitely going to help a lot of people. So before we wrap up, I always like to ask my guests to leave our listeners with a recommendation of something that's going to boost their life or their business. So something that you've watched, read, listened to, eaten, experienced. Um, what's your recommendation wow, that, for the that listeners? Could be, uh, <laughs> that could be a conversation all of its own. I know. <laughs> which would be lots of fun, actually. But I, I thought about Actually, something that I think is is very useful in the context of this discussion, but also life in general. Yeah. And it's a beautiful book called Listen, How to Find the Right Words for Tender Conversations. It's written by um, a woman called Dr. Catherine Mannix, who's on our clinical committee. And let me tell you, everyone needs a little more Catherine Mannix in their lives. She's yes. all over the internet, so it's really uh-huh. one of the most wise, eloquent and gently a symbol of gentle strength, I think. So definitely worth having a look at Catherine's work. But this yes. book is about how to have tender conversations in, in so many different settings. And I found it really useful as a parent, you know, talking to teenagers and navigating some of those tricky conversations and even, you know, in, in with colleagues and, and team members. So it's it's a beautiful book. It's an audio book as well. Uh, I'd, I'd really recommend it. Fantastic. I'll put the link to that in the show notes and right. look up. Dr. Catherine Mannix's work as well. That sounds incredible. So, um, Melissa, how can we connect with you? And if we want to find out more about the important work that you do, where can the listeners find you? Look, I think um, absolutely have a look at violet.org.au for for all of that um, freely accessible information that I mentioned earlier. I think particularly in the context of your listeners, Michelle, there might be business owners here who might be interested in some of the training programs that we're delivering through big businesses to help them recognize customers and colleagues that would benefit from Violet's support. So that's um, that's all there as well. And anybody that just wants to have a chat in a bit more detail, just feel free to reach out through LinkedIn. That's fantastic. Thank you so, so much for your time today. Thanks, Michelle. It's been really lovely talking to you. Thanks for sharing some of your day with me today. I hope it's given you a little boost. To continue the conversation or access any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit michellebroadbent.com 
www.thisisthefirstbeat.com.au. And if you want to give me a boost, you can hit subscribe and be sure to tell your friends. Speak soon. Bye.